Welcome to season two of the Call Me By My Name project, a trans oral history podcast, hosted by Lee and Ryan. We'd like to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of the land on which the following interview took place. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and to any Aboriginal people listening today. Sovereignty was never ceded. In this episode, Lee and Ryan spend time with Amau, a proud Fafafine who uses the pronouns she, her, diva. Amau talks about the importance of cultural identity, her advocacy work, self-acceptance, love, shifts in language, and laying the foundations for future generations of trans and gender diverse folk. She generously shares her experiences and insights with us and does so with both humor and grace. Just a quick note on audio. This conversation was recorded in a cafe, so there is a bit of background noise. We've done our best to minimize this, but you might need to turn up the volume for this one. Okay, my name is Amalia Chalou. Uh, I am a Fafafine trans woman of color. I use the uh, the pronouns she, her, and diva. <laughs> I think that there might just be more, so we'll just roll with it. Okay. Um, the question that we always start with is, okay. what kind of things do you like to do? I love eating. Eating, 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 eating. And I also love meeting people. Um, I've, uh, just, um, I love advocating for our rights, especially trans and gender diverse people. Um, what you call it? They say social justice, but I just say no, it's trying to learn uh, for people to give, you know, give space and allow space for trans and gender diverse people to live their lives with themselves, as well as, um, yeah, just, just helping people. You know, and helping myself to food. <laughs> oh my god. Can you, can you tell us a, a bit more about the types of food that you particularly like? Oh, I love anything. But you know, it's so funny because it's almost like, you know, I get, you know, they go, oh, so you love your island food? I said, yeah, in moderation. But I just said, if I go out of this world, I go out eating Italian food. I absolutely love Italian food. There's no such word as diet in, in my lingo when it comes to Italian food. I try, I tried being vegetarian, and you know, it was just like I was sitting there and I was at an event, and I was just like, and they're serving chicken and lamb, and I was just like, okay, well, it's now 13 minutes and 20 seconds, and the diet is going out. But you know, that, that thought of being a vegetarian is going out the window. <laughs> You know, I mean, I tried the second day, it was a lot worse because I, I, saw, I, I saw chocolate chip cookies. And that's kind of my weak spot. Chocolate chip cookies and popcorn are my weak spots. So, you know, you have the bad and then you have the good. <laughs> you also mentioned that you love meeting people and get this right, you came back from an overseas trip about a month ago? Yeah, oh, the, just the opportunity to go and um, speak at the Human Rights Conference that they had as part of World Pride, and also be in the World Pride that was in New York, um, was totally amazing because I don't feel there's enough of the narrative that comes forward for uh, queer people of colour here, like, you know, just mainstream. So to be 
to be in the U.S., to be in New York, and just be around people of colour, queer people of colour, was also mind-blowing. It was kind of, it was, um, what is the word, inspiring and empowering for myself um, to hear those stories, because that's what I yearn for, and that's what I can relate to. You know, uh, some of the pathways that some of the people there have taken, like especially the trans women, trans women of colour. Um, and so that was, that was empowering for me and to make the networks that I did to open up the opportunities for myself but also come back here and look at ways that I can look at engaging you know, some of the minority groups that are in the LGBTAQ plus circles. What ways that I can uh, try to find ways in engaging our communities from those uh, communities and giving it some kind of visibility of their narratives to the forefront. So coming back and being inspired to do events, especially events that include, you know, getting people to tell their narratives um, is important for me. You know, it's almost like laying the blueprint for the next generation of people to come to know that, hey, we did have some visibility, we did have people, because when I grew up in the 80s as a naive teenager, there were no brown people of colour that I could relate to, especially in queer circles, um, especially in our rainbow circles, there was nothing. So I would go to these gay clubs in Sydney, you know, or clubs just in general, um, and I couldn't relate to anybody. It was almost putting on a, like a whole different mask and trying to be relatable, but I just said to myself, but I can't relate to them, you know, I find the humour different. And that was a challenge for me, but I just I just had to do what I, you know, I had to find the information, what, what would resonate with myself and do what would work for me. And so it was almost like, you know, I would go home, uh, growing up in a Samoan household, which was, um, we were very church orientated, but for Pacific Islanders back in the day, and even to the extent today, going to the church or going to church things is like our community hub so back then we never had social services that were there to help our community so they were big things for us and so i would i would have to juggle between the two of you know my cultural identity from you know my own culture but also western culture that you know australian culture and at times it would be challenging because once i would finish school it would go straight into kind of church, churchy stuff. And that I found challenging in trying to find myself. And then when I would have to, you know, want to go out, I'd also have to deal with a community that really didn't understand myself. I come from a culture, you know, we use the term fafafine, and it's a layered term. Um, I consider myself a trans woman of colour in the Western context, but we don't have a term to describe in my Samoan culture, LGBTA plus Q. So every time I go into these spaces, I go, my story starts with an F, and everybody looks at me and go, okay, she's about to swear. I said, no, fafafine is not a swear word. <laughs> it's a diva-like kind of swear word. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's just trying to bring those stories, you know, and allow the younger generation to know that 
well, we already have a, we already had a blueprint, and maybe we can find some ways of being proud of ourselves. Because I, you know, back in as I was saying before in the 80s, I had a conflict with my own colour, you know, because I just said that's what was on billboards. That was what was the gay scene for me at the time. Um, there was absolutely nothing. But that was nobody's fault. That was just that was just the way it was. We were we were a minority community then, and so just trying to find um, stuff that was relatable for me was kind of and so I would, you know, I would have um, issues with the colour of my skin for it. And then the gender thing came, you know, a bit later when I kind of realised. Um, but you just had to work with what you had. It was the 80s, you know, it was, a, it was a time of, you know, the AIDS crisis. So, you know, homophobic and transphobic stuff, especially homophobic stuff, was, was quite rife, you know, uh, growing up in Sydney. But, you know, I mean, that, there, was an, uh, uh, there was an ad to do with AIDS. The way it was set, it was, it was the, I think it was a reaper, but it was a bowling alley scene. And to this day, that ad was a real, because nobody knew how to deal with the AIDS crisis. You know, even here in Australia, there was no kind of solution. So to see this ad, you know, projected on the screen, constant, you know, like it was, you know, it was almost like also seeking out, well, the gays, you know, the LGBTI community, they're the ones that get this. And so that was always the, the mechanism to attack, you know, the LGBTIQ community. Um, I think things are a lot more complicated now with uh, language, and you know, that I see. But it's great to have young people that disrupt and, um, you know, try and inform uh, the wider community that you can't do that shit that happened to us in the 80s, you can't do that. And I said, you know, it's just like, um, you know, as I was saying about the language, you know, terminology, I look at it as people just have to get their heads around it. I said, cultural dynamics is going to be forever changing. Like, I even see it within my own Samoan culture, you know, like, you know, how young people there abbreviate the Samoan language, you know, when they text, and I'm like, you for real? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm trying to, is that a decoding bug of some sort right there? You know, am I going to be in trouble? Um, but yeah, it's just um, trying to, you know, keep up to date with what's going on. But that visibility, you know, coming back to you know, that visibility is so important. It allows someone to feel that it's okay to be you. You know, so it's like the thing about the color, like I, like, I just, you know, there'd be days that I'd wake up back in the 80s and I just thought, I'm white, you know? But I'm a lot more prouder of my culture because it's a lot more acceptable, it's a lot more mainstream. You know, when I look at, you know, places in New Zealand where there's a big Pacific Island community and everybody's, like, what I love when I go to New Zealand, everybody tends to embrace language you know, indigenous people are embraced quite warmly. Um, and so, you know, to be in that tense right now is great.
we can only encourage the conversation we can only encourage to be firm and take a stand and it's like you know how I was saying with trans and gender diverse people binary and non-binary you know people think that we're going to go away and I said no 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 we're not going away you know like you know one of the classic examples for me when it really hit home was working for Equinox trans and gender diverse clinic and I can share with you uh, some of the clients who have come there was a quite a high um percentage of people that identify as non-binary and um, you know that was an example there and I just said that's just a dot and I just said yeah but they're not going anywhere so people just need to get over their shit you know or whatever I just said if they're not hurting you don't need to worry about them but I think it's just you know just trying to get community to broaden their horizons and open that language of discussion. I said, people are not going to get it right, you know, in terms of, you know, how a person chooses to accept. But I just think that thing of, you know, getting, you know, like coming back to that thing of visibility or coming back to that thing of, um, you know, getting that, including that language and diversity, coming back to the thing of panels, you know, including you know, uh, say binary, non-binary people in the discussion. You know, you know, some people. Um, I've got a friend, a really good friend of mine, that's bisexual and polyamorous. I said, people don't need to agree, but I just said it's great just to have that. Conversation. I said, because you don't know. You know, and it's just the thing, like, you know, you know, knowing that my friend is polyamorous, and, you know, and very comfortable. You know, and it's myself was being educated about seeing things through a different lens. So hopefully, you know, just in terms of me speaking my story or my narrative, is getting you know people to see things from a different narrative. Because you know, back home in Samoa, even though we have a silly um, colonial law that says, it technically says that you know, uh, men can't dress up as women and so forth. That's still, there's a law in Samoa that still exists. However so, you know, Fafa Femi still exists today in a very strong community. I mean, our Prime Minister is the patron of our Fafa Femi Association. That's huge. You know, and this is a church-dominated nation. And it's almost like the, uh, in Tonga, the Pacific nation of Tonga, they have to say they're, they're, uh, one of the princesses is their patron of theirs. And these are two. And so our, our approach to Fafafime is kind of quite a, it's, it's kind of a softer approach, but that's just specific people in general. We're not really like this. We're kind of like, we laugh at everything. We think everything's a joke. You know, that can work for us. And they can also work against us. Um, and mentally, for Fafafine, that's a great thing. I sometimes wonder to myself, you know, when I think about it, why did my parents migrate in the first place? Because I just said, you know, I have, I have the privilege of, you know, having a roof over my head, having food, having water, having, you know, but you know, when I look at other people, but yet it's still, I still struggle. There's still, there's still the struggles. But in Samoa, you know, we're just happy, and I love that. And 
you know, if we're going to talk by uh, non-binary, you know, the, the tr- those that identify as technically trans women in, in Samoa, there's no hormones there. So, you know, it's, it's a th- you know, it's, we're considered a third gender and we're very comfortable with that. Um, but just the embracement from family and community is very encouraging. I went to Samoa two years ago and I hadn't been in like 38 years, like 35 years, 30 something years. And I was just gobsmacked. Like I was sitting in this, like this cathedral out of some Italian vote book and I'm sitting there and if, like people are singing, it's just such a wonderful feeling. And then in walks this group of ladies and I'm just like sitting there and then I do it. You know, I do a double take because one of them was my, you know, tr- you know, tr- tr- female niece. And then I look at the, the whole twelve. There was like fourteen of them that came down. The Catholics they do this thing of carrying gifts, you know, during their services. Nobody better than I learned. And what I didn't realize was that their fafafine annual pageant was on. So that actually, the actual service was actually for the sound. But it was just a generous like you had like a hundred people in that church past the fuck what did that feel like I was just I was so I was buzzing out but it was just like I was so gobsmacked like you know the fact that they can hold down you know mainstream teaching jobs and present it as they wish and nobody bats an eyelid you know and here like you know if they discover that you're trans you can be, you know, be prepared to have the onslaught of rubbish that they will, will dish out. That mentally speaks volumes, you know, when you can come into a culture that is just generally quite accepting and quite warm and embracing. I can look at my cultural identity and go, I feel loved, I am loved, and, you know, I just said, that's huge to have that self-love for oneself. That, but I also remember where I came from. That, you know, as it, it was asked at the beginning, what do you like? I said, you know, the thing about helping people. Um, it's a, it's also a, a, a cultural thing that I find within my own Pacific Samoan people. You know, the the yearn to want to help each other, even though the, in Samoan culture. Um, we see everybody as family, so we, you know, having you know, family is important to us. So when we bring it into West, you know, Australia, we look at everybody. We go, we kind of approach people in a family kind of way. Like we look out for them. Um, the hospitality thing is huge with us, and I find that when I was, you know, in trans circles, it had Pacific trans people as well as uh, white Australians. There's a difference, but I just said that we work with it. We've learned to work with it. Um, and um, yeah, I find it's encouraging, but it's just trying to remain grounded in a, in a you know, here in a culture that's still, you know, like I've, I, you know, some of the negative experiences, oh my God, I can tell you. Um, bit of a trigger warning, I've had my jaw busted, like literally busted. Um, I've been spat at on um, train as well. And so when I look, 
you know, when I talk about how huge that cultural identity is for me and the way I've been able to embrace, it allows me to look at my bad experiences um, with a lot of, um, you know, with a lot of encouragement because I see those bad experiences, you know, they were huge for me, like to have my jaw busted, um, to be spat on. You know, that was like I, the, the, you know, I was in hospital. I think for like two months, recovering from the jaw. You know, um, they had to stick a metal plate in my jaw, um, and the, the spitting one. I took a whole two months of work. You know, I couldn't travel on public transport. I was just, but that's just you know. Some of the stories that have come of being a trans person here in Australia, but I know I also where I, where I feel humbled is the fact that I know there's people a lot worse off than myself, and so I just try to make things work for myself in the best possible way. It hasn't been an easy journey, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I just said. I can't deny who I am, who Amal is, um, you know, and I'm just grateful for who's, whoever supports me. I'm grateful for my family, who just hasn't been an issue. Um, I think the one person that I was a challenge for was my dad, but um, he's no longer around. Um, he passed away probably 10, but it was so interesting. I think. <clears throat> My dad succumbed to Parkinson's in the last seven, eight years. And so the interesting one was there. We've never had a good relationship. Um, I just felt his upbringing was just a bit strict. Um, however, so, um, you know, I just think you'll learn, to, you will find out in life that you will give up. You know, you will have to learn to let go of a lot of things. So I think for my dad, he learned to give off being quite strict and he learned to get, like, just get over his transphobic or fafafinephobic kind of attitude that he had towards me. I think the interesting one, one of the most hilarious things was, you know, at the time, living as a gay boy at the time and then having to ask my dad, like, I didn't, I didn't click and I was getting an award and my nana who is my dad's um, you know my dad's my dad's mum she was sitting in the lounge room at the time and I didn't I didn't click and it was the first time my, my dad would see me presented as a female so I just realised I had finished getting ready and um, I came out and I just realised, oh my god, I need to ask Dad for a ride. It was the, one of those really awkward moments. And my nana was sitting in the lounge, and, my and I asked my dad just quickly, and he just looked, you know, looked me up and down, and I just thought, oh my god, I'm going to get hit. 
And my Nana turned around to turned around while she was sitting there. She looked me up and down. And then she turned around to my dad. She goes, what are you angry for? She looks beautiful. So that was, you know, that was, and then it was so funny. I didn't know that I was getting some money, but the person to ask me for my, you know, some of my winnings from my award was my dad. I said, hell no. <laughs> hell no. I'm at a place now where I just feel comfortable with myself. Like I can talk about things that make me happy, but also the rough experiences I've been through. Um, and there's some pretty heartbreaking stuff, but I've just managed to turn it around. I just believe that you know there's a reason why I'm alive, you know, and I just said. You know, it, it's just made me a lot resilient to the person I am. So when I see, when I see people uh, from our trans and gender diversity um, struggle, you know, I hear them. Like, I hear with it. At, like, and I think sometimes people have got to step back from the privilege that they have and put themselves in that person's shoes. You know, and I said, and see, you know, and see and hear some of the stuff that a trans and gender diverse person goes through. I said, we all have, we all have stories. been an interesting life oh my god I better get a book deal out of this <laughs> uh, it's been an interesting life however you know we we need to be represented trans and gender diverse people need to be represented in communities uh, you know community stuff that that language needs to continue to be challenged and changed because our community is changing and we need to um, still be really, you know, looking at the thing of being inclusive and diverse. Because that's what our, you know, you look outside that window, that's what our community looks like. It is diverse community. Can you tell us about like the process that you went through to start to really engage and embrace your cultural identity? I feel it came, it's come full swing in the last probably six, seven years for me. And when you look at me being 48, that's quite, that's quite significant. It wasn't that I wanted to be someone else, I just had to find a way for myself to fit into society here. But what I realise is that in the reverse, it's actually worked in my favour for who I am. You know, like being Fafafina, being a trans woman of colour in society today. Like I was saying before, it gives me leverage. You know, whereas the challenges that I find here, but I'm reflective of my own cultural identity. What does it do? It gives me hope. It gives me love. It encourages me to be me. So yeah, it just it just gives me language. So probably the last seven years was the one where it really sinked in. So now when I talk, or as you've seen on some of my social, I really push that narrative of cultural identity. You know, or what it, how it, 
you know, through the lenses that it works for myself. Because, you know, one of the examples is like when I was at World Pride and I was able to march with um, a group, a New York based group called Utopia New York, and they're, you know, from the rainbow community from the Pacific diaspora. And to have to march with them was so special because I was actually able to celebrate and embrace, which I constantly do, but was to show the world and share with the world, you know, where I'm from or, you know, that I'm marching with my own people. I said, like I said before, there was nothing for me back then. And so to be able to be empowered by my own cultural identity to be able to bring that to the table when people go wow that's such a different way of looking at life you know through rainbow lenses from the pacific Pacific. you know it's encouraging but i said yeah but that's what we need to do we need to encourage each other like i said you can be a hater all you want but i just said yeah but you know, mentally, what does that do for somebody? You know, it doesn't make somebody feel good, I see. So, um, you know, it's just trying to encourage people to, you know, also allow people to know that it's okay to be different, like it's okay to think differently. Some people, you know, I, you know, try to go, people don't always have to think the same, you know? And that's what I love about, you know, people, you know, an example for me is, people that identify as non-binary I love that because it challenges people like they're so used to boxing either female or male in that you know that those two boxes and I just said no 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 and I, I think that's where I get very pro about that you know, because I said you know I've seen where it's been destructive or negative for me but, you know feeling stuck you know in a, you know being in my own square and just trying to have to you know trying to somehow push myself through white spaces um, yeah it's just you know so that's the, the change for me is probably in the last seven years I just said no it has to get better and so that's where I rely quite heavily on my own cultural identity because I look at the way they approach life they approach life with a lot of humor you know I don't kind of get that in you know but that's okay you know that's just I just see I see the shit that some of our community go through here but that's what I kind of feel I can kind of juggle for myself and it works for me and I, I feel I feel a better person. Um, it's it humbles me as well. It grounds me to know that you know don't just forget about others that are around you. I said um, it's that thing of don't leave anybody behind. And I said yeah, I I don't choose to leave anybody behind. That's why for me it's important, regardless of the colour of your skin, regardless of your gender or how you choose to identify. For me it's important to, you know, continue to engage and just bring our community forwards. I said, you know, I said we can continue to hate, but I just said, yeah, but, you know, the years are going past, the time, and I just said, you know, people are not going to wait, you know. But yeah, it's, uh, in the last seven years, 
and like just how I keep um, just reiterating it's just um, it just it brings me it brings me a lot of joy to know that as a fafa fine that um, we have also strong uh, fafa fine advocates that are rocking you know you know advocate space you know spaces in the LGBTI circles and I love that I absolutely love that absolutely because that's what I yearn for that that thing of identity you know to have something to identify with um, to try you know to you know, to be proud of you know you know the good that has come your way or where you've come from or what you've been around you know the, the good experiences um, and so you know, being someone, I can't tell you how proud I am. Being a trans person, I can't tell you how proud I am. Being a trans woman, I cannot tell you how proud I am. And being a fuffer, oh my God, I'm just like deformation, honey. You know, I can't tell you how proud I am. But you know, the battle still exists. But you know, how I said previously before, we ladies blueprints, so the next generation that comes after us goes, okay, you know, we had some, you know, we had a queer person of colour, we had a fuffa feeling that was just do, rocking their thing or doing their thing. And that there's, there's not a naive 15, shy 15 year old Pacific Island gay boy that's standing in the corner going, I don't know how to identify. You know, and that was me, that was me back in Sydney, you know, going to clubs in the cross, you know. When did you make the move from Sydney? Did you come straight to Melbourne? Or? Uh, I I originally migrated from New Zealand in 82, 83 as a shy 11 year old gay boy. Um, and then from New Zealand, 80, uh, 90, oh no, 2000, I think it was 2004 or seven. I fell in love with Melbourne. I came here for, the, it was my first trip to Melbourne. I came for the weekend. I never went back. <laughs> but I think I've been here, what would be about 10, 12 years in Melbourne now. So I've spent half, I went, there was a period where I went back to New Zealand. So I've spent half my time in New Zealand and half here. Um, and I'm so proud of my ex that I have on my passport, if we can go there. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because somebody, the only reason why I got an ex was that at the time was that it was allowable, but I never looked further into it. And then New Zealand made it, because I've got New Zealand. So, so um, I never thought, I didn't even, like I didn't even think about it. I just thought, okay, I actually thought for me, ex represented trans. And then I never got around to changing it, and I was happy with it because I just said, "Yeah, I want to challenge you, you, the security person." At the, at the end of the day, I'm a human being. So to this very, I've had it for about seven, eight years. The ex in my past, I've never changed it. Have had any um, experiences with it? Has anything ever? No, it's really interesting. Now they just look at it, just like thinking, "Okay, we're just going to have a go into us." 
and it's just fine. I just think even when I was in the US, they tend not to look at the gender thing. It's it's not a big thing because I think they've realised, you know, the trans and gender diverse thing has been a big thing of conversation. And they've realised they've had to rectify that because that's actually quite universal. You know, it's quite universal. Still a lot more to work on that, you know, the X in, in some people's, you know, people have allowed that to be in the past. So I've never changed it, even though I'm cool. You know, I, if, I just said, no, I just want to challenge that. Do your homework. <laughs> look, at, look, at, look at your you know, security measures on your policies. Look at that stuff. Clear it up. Clear up your mess. We're just talking about at the start, but what are you, you know, looking at the future? What kind of things do you have in mind? Uh, definitely doing... Uh, uh, still continuing on with the work that I do um, in terms of trying to get visibility and trying to include us, you know, our, you know, our community, city uh, change with the diverse people, queer people of colour in the discussions. Um, as, you know, doing international stuff and just trying to trying to give voice to those voices that are not heard. Um, what do I see for us? I see that like things are going to be forever changing and so what might be acceptable now may not be acceptable in the future and that's what I've seen like in terms of language like owning language how you how you use it you know like even the word queer back in the day was kind of a term to be frowned upon now you know it's a term to people embrace and own. It's even like for me, owning the term Fafafine. I frowned upon it back then when my aunties would go, oh look at the Fafafine, because I feel the way they spoke with intention was to have a have a laugh at who Amal was at the time. But for me, I'm still struggling with identity and you're, you're you know, you're getting me and I just found that quite hard. So, um, you know, when I look at the future, I don't know, we really have to change the government here. But, but I just said, you know, like I said before, the thing of we're going to exist. We're going to continue to exist. So people just have to find ways. And, you know, these, we're great, we've got our allies, but we need to keep pushing, pushing that envelope. People say, oh, you don't have to push. I said, no, 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 we do. We do still have to keep, you know, engaging and educating people. You know, it's so funny that you ask that question, I, and I sit here with a bit of reservation. I sit here with reservation because it's just the way the government is, and it's just the way politicians around the world, you know, with the lack of Trump. And I said, yeah, he's he will exit when he exit. But the fact that some of that stuff is implemented and has longer repercussions, um, that's why I sometimes sit there with a question mark because I said, I don't know whether with, you know, you know, back then it was a bit more simpler. There were still things still, but now it's a lot more complicated, you know, and I find for LGBTIs, you know, we can celebrate these things called pride in that, but we also must remember the, the 
the struggles that we, we go through and we need to address those. We need to address those struggles. You know, that's why for me it's, you know, so important, that engagement of discussion, um, that the importance of being challenged, you know, challenging stuff, challenging what's been given to us. You know, some people say, oh, you're so ungrateful for some of the rights. I said, yeah, but we've had to fight for them to be able to be ourselves, to be able to live or identify as ourselves. There's a bit of trepidation there for me, and I only say that because of the government. However, I'm very optimistic about our young people who are just um, a lot more, a lot more political. You know, and for some people that's a good thing for some people but I just think no they're disrupting they're disrupting the narrative and it's, sometimes you have to do that to get noticed to get heard because you know as is one of my um, interesting quotes is you know to have to not be heard you know the silencing is deafening you know to not have your voice you know to not have you know when I look at the reflection of some of the trans women of colour, you know, the, the you know the murder, you know, the death statistics in the last two months in itself, you know, to not have your voice, you know, to not have is it's is so deafening. You know, that's why I think it's so encouraging that I see young people say questioning everything, being political. You know, not just LGBTI stuff, but when I look at my own, like, uh, you know, stuff such as climate change, which affects some like myself people because I said, you know, uh, Pacific countries are some of the first, you know, will be some of the first countries to go underwater. Um, so, you know, I'm optimistic in that sense that we've got a young bunch of group of um, political-minded or outspoken young people that are challenging the way, um, you know, what was written beforehand or what was spoken beforehand. You know, when I look at my own life, I do what works. I look at it as what works for me what makes me safe um, and if I can what can I do to you know rearrange the table um, to include people of colour, trans and gender diverse and minority groups uh, to the table you know I, I no longer wait for to be invited to the table I, sh I come to the table I shine that spoon I look at my image in the fork and I sharpen that knife and I come with the attitude, I'm here to rearrange the table. <laughs> you know, I'm no longer waiting for the invitation to the I said, no, you're still, you could be waiting for 20 years to come to that table. I'm just like, hello. So yeah, so it's just, um, it's also trying to change people's attitudes and I think young people do that. You know, with their activism. And I said, yeah, don't don't just rely on what's already there. I just said no because I said things can just change, it, you know, just like that. And our gov you know, when I'm, our government can just do whatever like they feel like, and we're screwed. Like some of the you know some of the people in in um, the US, you know, when we look at the ICE situation, the immigration stuff in the US, it's almost like Trump has just gone click. 
look what's happened in the last you know last few days. You know, look at what's happened for the rights of trans and you know gender diverse people over there. So quickly. Yeah, and so that's that's the reason why we need to keep on to that. We need to be proactive, not just words but actions. You know, and this also to our allies as well. That's nice that you sit there at the table with us, but do something with us as well. You know, it's just that quote for me where I can best sum it up if our voices don't get heard is, you know, it's, it's, it's so deafening. And that's for me what I felt I had to deal with growing up as that 50, young 15-year-old a Samoan teenager who struggled with uh, sexuality, gender, uh, culture-wise, you know, because I didn't feel I had a voice. You know, I was, you know, there's that thing of me and my church upbringing to now where I don't really, you know, my religion is love. Like, I just, you know, just be a good person, you know. Um, but yeah, those things affect me you know, to, the, to what I say, what I do. But I'm optimistic, but the only reason why I'm reservations and have question marks is just our government and just what they can do. You know, we look at the situation of, and this is also on an international level, of what's in, you know, what has gone down in Hong Kong, you know, and just the protests that, that you know, and it's just, yeah, yeah, these are people that are speaking out. It's incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so that, yeah, that that should be empowering to communities to get on board when, you know, not be prepared to be given what you give. I said, no, you have every right to question. Get out of that thinking of, okay, I'm just going to just take whatever I've been given. I said, no, 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 you don't have to be. You don't have to take whatever you've given. You're allowed to you're allowed to say something or you're allowed to give your 20 cents. Because I said when you when you tell someone you can't say that, I just said, well you've actually silenced them by saying that. You've actually basically told them to shut up. And nobody likes to be told to shut up. You know? So um, yeah I'm optimistic. I that's where I encourage that we get you know we encourage other because they're you know I hate to say, you know, that saying of their own generation, but I just said, but yeah, we lay our footprint now so that the ones that come 20, 30 years down the track, while we're still young looking at the time, um, you know, they can carry, you know, they can carry on from where we left off. So, yeah. I think for me, it's coming from a place of love and having gone through my experiences and feeling a hell of a lot more comfortable with who I am. Like I was saying, that comparison to that shy, naive 15-year-old that just felt like I needed to please everybody, you know? Um, whereas I don't feel I need to please everybody. I just said, no, I, I need to do what's, you know, like, you know, I used to find it hard to put myself, number one, you know, even like when I had my conjecture, I, I just found it really hard to have people look after me. Like, I've, I've, you know, I'm not used to that. And just, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's that thing of just trying to, you know, have a lot of reflection on what you've been through and try and do something or alternate 
what hasn't worked for you. So for me, when I look at some of my life experiences, you know, and having to do away with um, negative people, you know, or people that bring me down or talk negatively, try to, you know, try to say negative things to me. Um, it's having to turn that around. For me, that was huge. That was huge, and that's where, you know, seven years ago, that's where for me it was. Have, you know, when I talk about, you know, the culture thing came into thing, realizing for me, I've had enough, and the bullshit needs to stop. That you know what I'm out. You can't change people. You have to change yourself. So it's having to reflect deeply within myself and just go, okay. You can rub and scratch that out about yourself and re replant whatever and do whatever. Because at the end of the day, it's it's you. When you die, it's just you. So my thing is, if you go out of this way, you might as well be happy. When I go out of this way, I don't want to die like this, but I'm going to die in Italian food. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just going to I want to go happy. I want to go be content and. Yeah, it's just knowing that I was happy within myself, you know, because I can't, I can't please or change anybody else. I can only change myself. But if I feel like, you know, if I feel like I've done what I can, I've been, you know, to me, what's important to me is being a good person to myself. If I've been good to others, then that's that's good with me. And if they've seen, you know, if there's something that they can reflect on and go. Well, there's something that we could take from Mama, or there's something that we feel we could change. Then that's good. That's good because at the end of the day, you have to get something out of you have to get something out of life, you know. And that's where for me, you know, changing the group of people that I would hang out with, like I just I won't put up like I especially won't put up with bullshit artists, like. You know, like, I can read them a mile away. I'm not interested in you, thank you. <laughs> you know, someone's saying to me, why don't you add me on Facebook? And I actually had to tell them, look, John, I've, I've seen you many a times, and I said, we actually don't get on, but we don't, we don't need to get on. And I don't feel like I need to have them. And they were kind of cut, but I just said, but that wasn't my intention for saying that, because I said, you're basically hounding me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, that's where she's a diva. Oh, thank you for thank you for having me. Thank you so much for all the hard work that you you do as well. Yes, I mean it doesn't go unnoticed. <laughs> well, I mean it's also you know. Advocacy yeah, I, you know, it's, thank you, it's, it's humbling, but it's also, you know, some people are born painters, some people are born artists, some people are just who they are, and I just look at it as, you have a job to do, get on and do it, so, I don't look at it so much as a job, but I just look at it as something just, needs to be done and you know you know going back the thing of just my life experiences you know I don't want anybody to go through some of the shit that I went through you don't deserve it you know but in saying that you know turn it around you know make yourself aware of 
you know, the spaces that you go into, the people that you're around, you know? Um, f- you know, and for me, you know, it didn't, ha- it didn't help having, you know, some of the negative people that I had, um, or some of the people that would constantly put me down. And so, you know, it's trying to put yourself into a good mental frame to make sure that, that you're an okay person, that you, it's okay to make mistakes. You know, that, you know, we don't, we don't allow for that, you know, you know, you know, the, the way culture is, you know, like when we look at social media, you know, you get open to be attacked, like left, right and centre, you know, I've even, I've had, I got my first attack this year, which was just through me, but I just, but I just, like I said to you, you just have to take care of number one, you know, and you, you disengage, you know, like disengaging from people that do nothing for you. Why would you want to please them? They do nothing for you. They don't pay your bills. They don't pay your basic wages. And I just think, you know, having, uh, if I can encourage one thing, is just to have good support networks. You know, and so it's those friends that you trust, that you know you can have a good laugh with, that you know you can have a good pasta with. <laughs> you know, and just encourage you and um, empower you to just keep on, you know, rocking it and slaying it. You know, and polishing that that you know that spoon at the table and just rearranging it to what fits you. Um, yeah, and just. Um, just doing your thing but I'm just I'm so grateful I'm so grateful I've realized the way I've turned things around for myself I'm just it hum like it's just oh, it's so humbling it's just so humbling like it's just and I'm just I'm just grateful to be given the opportunities to be able to do it but I never forget where I came from I never forget the people who supported me. Um, I never forget my family and my friends. And there's a select there's a select few who've understood me what I've been about. Um, yeah, I just it's it's humbling to do the stuff that I do. And I take it with a grain of salt that I'm able to go and rearrange that table to include others that, you know, because like I said to you, you know, to not, to not be, to not have your voice heard is, it's, it's deafening in itself. And that's sad when it, when it becomes like that. But, you know, like there's the alternative. You can change it, you can rearrange it, and you can do it so it benefits you and helps you out. Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, you, you only got one life to live, that's what I believe. And I just said, you just make it, you know, you know, the way I look at it, you know, when I changed it around my start seven years ago, I just said, you know, it's just it's just gonna be you at the end of the day. And so if you go out, you know, I said Amal, if you go out in this world, you might as well go happy. You might as well go happy. I said, you're going to upset a few people. I said, well, I'm not even looking at it in that way. I just said, I look at it as if people are not going to agree with some of the stuff. And that's okay, I've realised. I've really come to that realisation. But you know what? I really don't care because I just said, I know who I am. I give my own validation to my own self. And that's all I need to do. You know, I don't, my, you know, the intention behind what I do, 
And what I say is not to hurt anybody. So I know that is validation for myself. You know, I don't go out. Um, and so, yeah, it's just just continuing on and just soldiering on. People say battling on. I said, yeah, soldiering on um, and changing changing the narrative and bringing your, being able to bring that narrative, you know, that unique narrative that you have to the table. People may not get it. And they said, I actually don't expect you to get it. I just want to be able to, to sing. I want to be able to, to talk. I want to be able to be on an equal level as yourself. And, and it's, fight, it's fighting those fears within yourself that you can't be who you are. I just think to myself, like, oh, the experiences that I've been through. Like, even I did a, I did a talk. I got invited to speak at the family violence thing. Like, I was the guest speaker. And um, when I was working with my good friend and bringing my story to light, it was the first time... I, we were bringing in, we were writing stuff on the board and I had, like, you know, I know my own story but other people don't. And so I was, we were writing uh, certain points in my story on the board and it was the first time that, because I've never sought counselling or whatever to help some of the negative stuff that I've, you know, been dealt with and stuff. And just, you know, when I, it was one of those things where I sat and I was just totally gobsmacked. Um, it's on a, you know, like just to be able to see that stuff written on the board and to notice what I've done to change, you know, make it so. I ended up crying. I ended up crying because, like, I just, like, I was just so, it was just so, like, I've never, I've never written down, you know, like just, it was just like a brief history, but to go into it and to actually pre presenting it into a fa family violence space was huge. Um, and so it's, you know, it's that thing of just changing the narrative and being able to be included to tell you, if you feel comfortable, some people don't feel comfortable, and that's fine. I'm okay to talk about stuff that affects me um, because it's almost like that thing of when you constantly talk about something, you get to a point where I'm over it, I'm okay with it. Was you know, when I was you know having to you know really deal with negative stuff that affected me. It was almost like something that had bogged me down. So I would have to find ways to go and, you know, to therapeutically heal from that. And that's why I can say I love myself because I've, I've dealt with whatever stuff has affected me. You know, you know, I can be honest, both physical and sexual abuse um, and having to find means a way of, uh, to survive. So, uh, you know, when I went into sex work, um, that was a, that was a, 
That wasn't something that I wanted to do. I've never looked at it. I've never frowned upon other people doing it. But um, I had to do what I had to do to survive because I had gone for so many jobs. You know, like I've got six months worth of job applications at one time. And so, you know, um, having to do, you know, having to do what I had to do. And stuff like that, stuff that just mentally affects you. And so, you know, in my 48 years of living and survival, um, I can now look at it and go, you know, I've really had to work it for myself. I've really had to push barriers, you know, beyond barriers for myself. But, you know, I never really had to complain. I never really complained. I just, it's just, you know, it's just what I've learned, you know, being a resilient trans woman of colour, being a fafa female, you know, and knowing that there's other people like my, myself that are a lot worse off. So that's why I just am humbled by, give, you know, giving, been given the um, platforms to do stuff, but I've had to work it, you know, like, when, you know, I was saying before that, you know, it was interesting because I still kind of gobsmacked myself. Like I still get upset. But someone said to me, "That's because you work. You work for it. You really put in the hard work." I think the people that often say like, "Oh, I'm so lucky or so fortunate," are generally people that have put in so much hard work. Yeah. So, but I do. I I'm so humble. I'm so, I'm forever humbled by it, and I just. Um, try and encourage others just to be authentically themselves just to know that it's okay to be angry that it's okay to be sad they're, they're just human emotions because those were emotions that I had to contain within myself because I had no way you know into you know the sexual abuse that just that took a big chunk out of me to mentally because I never had a counsellor I just had to mentally find, find ways to have to get my thing. I think there was a, one of the, oh, I had a click, uh, what I like to call click moments. And my click moment in terms of the language that I would use to, you know, disempower myself. I've had to really work for it. I really, really had to apply myself. And still, I come out a good person and quite funny. <laughs> but I just, you know, that's where you have got to weigh it up. Is it worth being a negative, destructive person? No, it's not. You know, is it worth continuously being a hater? No, it's not. So it's just also in my journey, it's just finding therapeutic things to, you know, and it's that thing of, even now this year, the thing of self-care into the spaces or work that I do has been important because when I reflect over the stuff that I've gone through, I've had to find ways to encourage myself. Oh, as I was saying before, that turning point was, I happened to, I don't know what it was, I happened to come across on the radio at the time, and I was doing sex work at the time, and dealing with all these negative people that just um and it was a radio it was an online radio station called hayhouseradio.com 
and the woman behind that was a woman named Louise Hay. She's known for her affirmations and stuff, kind of whatnot. She's passed away. And just like a radio station, I would turn it on every day from the dessert that day that I heard it. And I had nobody else, you know, because I was doing six weeks, so I would do the work, sleep, eat, do the work, sleep, eat. And it was almost like my best buddy. And you know, I, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't, we couldn't, um, what you call it, communicate left, right, and centre. But it was just having that reassurance of stuff that was being on that because they don't play any music. It's all quite positive stuff. It's it's different programs that still exist today, and that was a big change for me to look at my life and go. Okay, you can change certain parts about you can change the people you interact with. You can start training up your mind amount to say better things to yourself. Um, you can start putting yourself around, you know, like just those changes. You know, and having to realize I know it's going to take work, but you, you know, and you can do it. And so, you know, it was meaning cutting off certain people that I had to come in across in the sex industry. It was just learning to love myself. And that's what I needed to do. Was just learning to love myself and accept myself. Accept myself for the good and bad. Um, and know that I also can't change people. Um, and so that, that radio station, Hay House, is what the equivalent to what a Bible is to some people, or the Quran is to some people is what Hay House Radio was to me. That was that was a huge changer. And, you know, when they would say things, you know, like, you know, when you, when you want change, you want it now. And, you know, when I would listen to some of the things, I think, well, you know, um, I'm, still, I'm still waiting. You know, like, I've tried it that way. And in the five seconds that you've said that, 30 seconds that you've said that, nothing's changed. You know, but you know, it was also having to change my way of thinking. So that was a huge, because like I said, I've never had counselling, I've never, and so to bottle all of those emotions up, especially when you're angry, you're angry what people, do, you know, what has negatively impacted you for so long, and you have every right to, you know, to have something do that to you. It's quite mind-blowing and um, yeah it was just changing people who I allowed into my circle of friends or who I was and it was wasn't saying that I'm better than anybody I just said no I just choose to be happy I choose to be a good person I choose to want to help others and that's the way it's come about you know like it's come full swing so um, yeah, I just, I just, I just, I just ride with it. I just, just continue to like give out as much positivity as I can. Uh, a lot of love, you know, because I said that's how you were taught. I'm all, um, I was very close to my mum, but she was the opposite to my dad. So my dad was very, er, my mum was like, yeah, whatever. My dad was very serious. My mum was quite funny. So it was just like learning to bridge, you know, I kind of have the mentality of the both. I'm quite soft, but I'm also quite, uh, like I would just, you know, like if somebody's, no, 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 you can't say that. Um, but I never, the one important,
important thing that I never forget and that has worked for me is just love, like, you know, having that love for my mum. Um, even though that she was somebody that was always in the background, she never liked the attention. My dad liked the attention. Um, and so learning to, you know, when they passed away nine years ago, the legacy that my mum gave to me of being unconditionally a loving person is what I hope that is what people see when I give out to, you know? Um, and I will continue to do that. I will continue to do that because I said it's what works, it's what has worked for me. Um, but just like that thing, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, but it works for me. It works. It works for me. Knowing, you know, to when I come home to ground myself to go, you know, what's worked for me today or what hasn't worked for me today, and how can you be a better person? You know, and, and bring your community with you or help others with you that you know that have been in the same situation that you have been in. You know, it's kind of weird in some ways because like, love, whatever, you know. But when I think about it, I just said, yeah, I'm out. that's what you needed to do. You needed to learn to love yourself because I said, it was almost self-destructive because I was told I was useless. I was told you would never amount to much. You know, and so if you've been told that, but I was getting the reverse by Hay House Radio.com authors and speakers on that. You know, you are worthy of love. You're worthy of more. You know, and it was just putting things into, it was like my counseling session as well. It was just putting things into perspective. And so, you know, I've kind of relayed some of those love, uh, some of the, that stuff that has worked for me in my dealings of community, uh, in my dealings of people. And it's worked. It's worked wonders. Uh, and I feel good about it. That's what balances me out as well, is just having that Samoan sense of humor, you know, the Samoan fafafine humor. Like, fa like if I swear, if you go to Samoa, you just think, my God, this is crazy. <laughs> like, they just, they own it, they slay it, you know? Um, and I think, you know, if we talk about privilege, and this is in a humble sense, that's their privilege, being embraced by a community that warmly embraces them. You know, there's even a fafafine kind of slang language that they use. And it was so funny when I was when I went back last year, like to even hear cisgender, you know, straight woman even talk, you know, fafafine lingo, even the men. And, you know, and I was sitting going, are you a queen? Yeah. <laughs> are you really, are you really, you know, like thinking, that cisgender woman just talked like one of these queens. Like it was just really hard. I just thought, oh my god. And then to hear him, you know, this really bulky male talk like that, you know, I was laughing. But it's just how warmly embraced the community is. Like, you know, like I was saying, just to be able to work in government positions and teaching jobs, teaching jobs. You know, and nobody's even questioned, you know, thinking any sexuality, you know, thoughts or that. I said, well, you know what, they're not going anywhere because they have always existed and they've always existed in the teaching profession in Samoa. 
and we also have American Samoa as well. So American Samoa is a, is, is a different country as well. And so just like, I'm not too sure if you've heard of the Pacific nations of Guam and Northern Marianas, they're like a trust territory of the US. So they don't have voting rights. Um, they're considered, oh, I hate, and I hate the term too, they're considered neutralized citizens. So they don't have voting rights, yet they can go to America or Hawaii and use the education system or um, use the medical system. So a lot of the trans identified um, those uh, women um, in American Samoa tend to leave the island and go to the main US where they can access hormones. And that's the, that's the difference that you can see um, in terms of uh, what would technically be considered non-binary uh, trans women in Samoa compared to the bi a lot of the trans women there or identified trans women tend to go on the hormones there. But you put us all together and we do a lot of laughing. We just thought, oh my God, it's, it's crazy. Like I just, I like just get, because the seriousness of trans women that I see here is totally the opposite to there. Like they just, they laugh at everything. And you're just thinking, are they laughing at me? Yeah, but I just said, but it's, 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 it's a laughing at, you know, laughing with you. Then, you know, like that's why people over there, it's just like when we see um, people laugh at us, it's, it's not in a negative way, it's actually in a positive way because I just said, no, we've, we're fine with it. It's even like the thing of language, like here, uh, the pronouns here, over there pronouns are not such an issue because I said, Fafafine are considered a third gender and it's, it's, almost, it's almost a layered term. So um, that's why I always go with the pronoun, or, you know, when they ask me, what are your pronouns? She, her, and Diva. <laughs> it's funny, you know, Western language or the way things are done in the Western context is quite different. And that was a huge culture shock for me when I went over there, like, they know who they are. They're very comfortable in there. Uh, and so, um, Counseling services. I'm like thinking they really don't need it there for you know the fa fingers over there. I just said they run riot, <laughs> but they're funny. They're they're generally funny, but they also there's a lot of respect for them because they do a lot of community stuff. Even the associations, like the the numbers in the associations over there are huge. But I just said, but they all listen. That's the difference, like that thing of, you know, it's okay to give your point of view, but also pull back and listen, you know, listen to what's been taught. And we have a lot of respect, but this is also culture-wise, of our elders. So, um, you know, our, our whawhawhine elders, we listen to them. Um, there's pros and cons about that as well. But I just said, for that community, it works. It works for them. You know, we do have our we do have our challenges, but probably a good ninety percent people are our, you know, ninety-five percent people are generally on our side. It's very 
you know, like they've got their annual Miss Fafafine coming up, you know, it's actually a lot more entertaining than this is Miss Samo pageant. People rather go to the Fafafine pageant than the Yeah, it's huge. It's really, and I had the opportunity to go to it last year. I was gobsmacked, you know, because <clears throat> Samoa has also realised that, you know, within the Fafafine community, they've had to come up with a, a word to, um, to dis, you know, that fits for uh, female to male, you know, trans male or trans masculine identities or lesbian. So the word that, that's come um, up in the last three, four years is fafatama, which is the equivalent. Um, and so, in some ways, that ca that community is catered for. Those voices still need to be heard, though, because we're still stuck over there in that thing of, you know, the man rules the thing. So, you know, this is for trans women that were born males. They still have a lot more privilege there than, say, our fafatama uh, counterparts. Um, but people need to get on with it, but um, it's only, uh, we now have a Fafatama Association, which is great because it's great, you know, when I was at the pageant last year, it was huge. Um, we, ha we ha this was a great thing, like, I was just so, like, so empowered by just, like, seeing a community they're actually working together quite well, even though their differences, even though their differences, you know, and um, and I think that's the thing behind the success of you know those both of those associations over there that they listen, that they work well together, that they have that support um, from their own peers, from their own community, from their own families. Um, that's huge, and that's huge for any you know, like I feel that. With for any trans person. And that's why I always thought I'd love to bring a group of trans and gender diverse people over to Samoa and see things through, you know, um, and just know that it's all about you at the end of the day and you have to take care of number one, you know, um, but that there are good people out there. And I just said, you know, despite the hate that we get here, I said, there's also a lot of good, there's also good people out there. Um, but yeah, that's huge. You know, I said, if you two if we want to go to somewhere, let me know. I was like, hello, come on. You'll sit there, you'll just laugh, you'll just cook yourself, you just go, I'm all like, I this Because I had to keep literally cooking my cousin. I'm sure she was abused by the end of my trip. She goes, I can't believe that, you know, like, you know, like they're just sitting, like they're just doing what they do. And so you get young people, you know, like young Fafafine who just are so proud to be themselves and you know that's a great thing when you know that they know they don't have to explain themselves you know people see them people don't have to agree with them i said yeah no they don't have to agree with them but it just said you know, at the end of the day they have to get over that mental stuff of being comfortable in their skin of who they are um, and so that's why you know from the get-go of the conversation, the cultural, uh, my salmonness, my culturalness, my fafafine-ness, I'm very humbled and very grateful and very fortunate to have that because 
it levels me out. And all my struggles that I've been through here, it gives me, it gives me a, it's always given me a glimmer of hope. And that in the last seven years, and especially the last two years, that I'm so proud to own that identity, you know? Um, you know, like, for me, everything begins with an F. <laughs> <laughs>